Well, today we're going to dive right on into our text. As soon as I get my handy-dandy clicker out. Um, we're going to be looking as we continue on in our series on the Gospel of John. We're in the sixth week, which means we're in the sixth chapter. Uh, for this week, we're going to be looking at John 32 through 35 and 53 through 59. So grab your Bibles if you brought them with you, and I encourage you to do that. Um, you know, there's nothing that replaces having your own Bible that you've made notes in and, and sort of uh, made your own. But if you didn't bring yours today, you can use the Pew Bible in front of you. You can get the Bible app on your phone, or you can just follow along on the screen in just a moment. But as you're uh, turning over to that sixth chapter, um, I just wanted to make mention again of what it is that's the motivation behind this entire book. We have an insight into that, and we have looked at this almost every week, but in the, the 20th chapter of John, the 31st verse, we're given these words. These are written, the text that's before us was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Why is this book given to us? Well, that we would believe, and with that belief, that God would draw us into a relationship that would grant to us life, eternal life, everlasting life. And as we move into our text for today, um, I guess I would just ask you, where are you at in that question? Have you found a place where you're, you're able to believe? And if not, why not? What is it that's continuing to be that barrier that keeps you from, from taking that step? And maybe in your own heart, pray that God would, would give you the, the insights, the understanding that would, would allow you to move beyond that, that hindrance um, that you might be able to experience exactly what John desires for all who read his word, that we would believe and come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Okay, well, that is a little of an introduction for us. We'll move to the text for today. Uh, beginning with that 32nd verse, we read these words. And just as a, a little bit of a background here, Jesus has uh, just uh, the day before fed the 5,000. Most of us know the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. Went across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, where he's meeting with his disciples again. And they have this conversation that begins here uh, with uh, verse 32. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, referring here to manna, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am that bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And if we go over to the 53rd uh, verse, uh, we come into some interesting teachings uh, of Jesus. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh, flesh is real blood and my real food, and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. As we look at our text for today, just a, 
a couple of things to mention before we, we, we dive into the actual words. All of this seems to kind of revolve around this idea of, of bread. And in the, the first century, bread had a different role in their society than it has today because bread was the staple of that culture and of that day. Everyone ate bread because everyone could afford bread. Even the poorest of the poor could still afford bread. Now, if you were on the lower end of the economic spectrum, you probably ate bread that was made out of barley. If you're on the upper end, you would eat bread that was made out of wheat. But it was an essential part of every single meal, just one of the the staples that they utilized it. And so it seems appropriate that as Jesus uses this metaphor, this analogy, that he uses bread because he's really, in, in, in a way, laying this foundation by saying that just as bread was available to everyone in that day and culture, so Jesus is available to everyone as well. And then as we also think about bread and, and what that means, um, and it can come a variety of different forms. It can be flat or in a loaf. It can be leavened or unleavened. But, uh, but as that bread would be shared and would be taken, it would be done so as the main part of the meal. You know, when we go to a restaurant, we, we use bread kind of as a side dish. If you, go to, if you go to Olive Garden, you get their delicious breadsticks. Or if you go to Roadhouse, you get their rolls. And, and we enjoy those, but that's not the main part of the meal. It just sort of leads into the meal. That was not the case in the first century. Bread was the, the, the preponderance of, of the meal. Now, they would have some meat, and they would have some vegetables, and they might wrap it up in the bread. But the bread really was the, the foundation. It really was the core, was the most significant piece in the meal. And Jesus, again is laying this sort of the subtle foundation of saying in the same way that the the bread was the most important in the meal, that he's the most important in our lives. And so we see this idea of of bread reflected um, really throughout, and and Jesus talks about it in really three different contexts. He talks about the bread of life, which is in reference to himself. He talks about the bread of heaven, which is referring to the Old Testament uh, story of, of manna, how God fed the people of Israel as they were in the wilderness and provided for them that unique bread. And then as the church, um, we, we've taken some of this and, and applied it into the Lord's table, which we'll celebrate at the end of our service today. So we'll make a connection there as well. But, but let's look at those first two, because as we look at the bread of life and the bread of heaven, uh, we see that Jesus presents and speaks in a way that provides this, this um, very unique and yet I think very powerful connection point between these two things, one which they've been familiar with, manna, because of being good Jews, they would have heard the story growing up, and then two, the bread of life, Jesus, as he is uh, kind of teaching them in this time. And so we see that there's six similarities there. The first one of those is that both were a gift from God. Even before the Israelites knew that they were going to need uh, food out in the, in the desert when they were wandering for those 40 years, God knew that. And so he had him plan and then put into place the, the provision of this stuff called manna, which literally means what is it? Because they had never seen anything like it before. We're told it's kind of wafer-like, had sort of a honey sweetness to it, but it would be present every single day in the morning for the people to, to collect and to, and to eat as a part of their sustenance um, in, in the wanderings that they would have there. In the, in the desert. In the same way that God provided that gift for the people of Israel long ago, so too in Jesus' day, he had given them and gives to us the gift of his son. In John 3.16, we read that familiar passage, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. 
There's a second connection, though, between those, um, and that is that both manna and uh, the bread of life were supplied by God alone. You couldn't go to the store. You couldn't go to 7-Eleven. You couldn't go to Albertsons and pick up a, a, a loaf of manna. That just wasn't available. Um, only God could provide that. And in the same way, only God was in a position to grant to us his son, the one and only who could serve as an atonement for our sins. And so as we go back to that passage in John 3, in the 17th verse, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so we see in both cases, God, in his graciousness, uh, supplied that which the world could never provide there's a third uh, similarity, connection point between those, and it's this, that both of those things were free. You see, there's no cost to getting manna. That God didn't issue each Israelite in the wilderness a, a debit card and says, now you've got this much on your card, so be careful how you use it because it's got to last you 40 years, and once you're done, you're done. Um, that's not how it worked. And God gave in great abundance to the people as the need was there, and it was for free. Totally a gift from God in the same way Jesus for us and those things associated with Jesus are a free gift that God gives to us why because we can never earn it oh we can never find ourselves worthy of it we can never pay a price a high enough to deserve it and so we read things as we do such as in Romans 6:23 that tells us this for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our lord there's a fourth uh, similarity between these two things, and it is that both of these things were readily available. You see, for the Israelites, they just they literally had to step outside their door, and it was right there for them in the morning when they went out to be able to collect this man. And for Jesus, we don't even have to go out the side, out, out the door of our houses to find him. He's right there. He's beside you. You look to the right real quick. Yep. Did you see him? Or to the left, or in front, or behind He's everywhere because he's omnipresent. God surrounds us. And, and the wonderful news about that is that wherever we find ourselves, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in the midst of, we can cry out to God. We can come before him just as we did in our service a few moments ago because we know that he's there. In Matthew 28, 20, it says this, And behold, I, Jesus, am with you always to the end of of the age. There's a fifth connection point that we see between these two, and, and that is that both needed to be availed of daily. You know, one of the unique ways that God uh, laid out his plan when it came to the people of Israel was in providing this manna, he would give them all that they needed. They could go out and they could collect it, but it was only good for one day. It had a one-day expiration date on it. And at the end of that day, it turned nasty. It became rancid, spoiled. It couldn't be kept. Why? Well, God, I think in his wisdom, wanted to make sure that the people of Israel, as they were wandering through the wilderness, continued to look to him on a daily basis, continued daily to put their trust and their faith and their hope and their reliance on him. In the same way, God hopes that we will look to him daily. That despite the busyness that's there in our lives, that we won't let that overtake us. And instead, we'll each and every day look to and lean on Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We read in Luke 9, 23, these words. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, which is what the call is for each of us, they must deny themselves and take up their cross 
daily and follow me. And then finally, as we see the similarities between the, the bread of life and the bread of heaven, we see that both are needed for life. Uh, in terms of manna, it literally was the difference between life and death. If God hadn't provided that, they wouldn't have had the, the, the nourishment uh, that was required for them to be able to survive those 40 years in the wilderness. It was that which was life-giving to them in a physical sense. When it comes to Jesus, the same is true. If we don't have Jesus, there's not going to be life for us either in a spiritual sense, in an eternal sense sense. In 14, John 14, 6, it says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's not the message of the, of the age, is it? Uh, we, we look at things in the news and we read about uh, different individuals who are saying this or, or that, and, and they'll say all kinds of ways to get to God. Everything ends up pointing up toward the mountain. It doesn't matter what your faith is. It doesn't matter what your beliefs are. Everything ends up to God, but that's not what Jesus tells us. There's only one way to God, and that's through his son. I am the way and the truth and the life. And so we have this wonderful uh, teaching, this wonderful metaphor that Jesus has made in, in having this conversation to, to connect who he was, who he desired to be in their lives, who God desired him to be in their lives with, with something that they could understand in a very simple way because it had to do with physical existence, that which we need to eat and to drink, that which would provide food for us. But then Jesus moves into some, some teachings that are a little bit confusing when you first read them, and they have been uh, throughout the ages. were confusing even to some of the disciples in Jesus' day, so much so that some of them chose to uh, turn, turn away from him, even though... As we'll discover, I think Jesus is very clear on what he's trying to convey there. And, and it has to do with the talk about eating Jesus' flesh and, and drinking his blood. You see, there was this great misunderstanding about what Jesus was talking about in this, in this day and age. The, the words were confusing, and yet the, the truth was clear. And what he was not talking about was cannibalism. That was not what Jesus was, was driving at in the midst of all of this. But that's exactly what different faiths will say about Christianity today. If you go to different vocations throughout our world, there's different religions, and, and they'll look at these words and other uh, parts of our uh, faith practices, and they'll say, well, why would you want to be a Christian? Look what, look what they talk about. And yet they, they've obviously not looked at the text in its context or Scripture in its entirety. You know, you don't have to go back to the book of Genesis and the ninth chapter, the fourth verse, and, and we're told that, that drinking blood is something that's abhorred to God, it's something that we are to avoid. And so we, we see from the very beginning that, that the teachings of God uh, would, would lead us away from that, and, and yet um, there's still this confusion. So, so let's look at some other passages here that surround this that I think provide clarity for it. In the 35th verse of this sixth chapter, we read this. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, that in this, he's really defining for us what he's talking about here. He says, well, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me, not eats me, whoever comes to me. When he's talking about satisfying the hunger, he's talking about entering into God's presence and that relationship with him. When he's talking about satisfying that thirst, he's talking about believing in him. So again, he's in clarity here, giving us a very um, succinct and, I think, definitive understanding that, that he's talking here about something that's spiritual in its essence. 
He's talking about things that, uh, that symbolize actions of the heart, not, uh, not things of the mouth. But he gives greater clarity to it as we look to the 51st and the 53rd and the 54th and the 56th verse of the 6th chapter. We read of this uh, ongoing description of eating and drinking. But if you look at the words, and you probably wouldn't unless you're a pastor, you, you would discover that it's in something called the aorist tense, which means it's something that happens only once. We think of eating and drinking as something that's an ongoing type of thing. But Jesus is saying, when it comes to a relationship with me, it's something that only has to happen once. We invite Jesus into our heart. We accept him as Lord and Savior, and then it's done. It's not an ongoing action, which we would typically associate with eating and drinking. But just to make sure that there's no misunderstanding, Jesus gives us even more clarity in the 63rd verse of the 6th chapter. When he points out this metaphor, clearly speaking to the spiritual, he said the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. So if, we're, uh, if everything relies on the eating and the drinking, how would Jesus be talking about that? He's, he's clearly suggesting and indicating to us here that what he's talking about is spiritual in nature. For the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and of life. And so we see that if you look at it in its context, if you look at it, the surrounding text or even in the entirety of Scripture, Jesus clearly here is talking about something that, that is metaphorical in its nature, that, that's representative, not to be taken literal. And yet, as we look to the history of the church, we see that there's been some struggle in this. Um, the church hasn't quite known how to, to respond to this. And so uh, this is really kind of a side note, but just as a maybe a piece of curious information for you, we see that the church has really dealt with this, uh, these verses in three distinct ways. The first way has to do with the Roman Catholic Church. And as they've read this, they've taken it in, in a literal meaning, believing that, that Jesus' flesh and blood are there as a part of the celebration of Mass. Um, as we look at these interpretations of these things, uh, for those that have a Catholic background, they engage in something that's called transubstantiation. Don't worry about remembering the word, big fancy word, but, but remember the concept, and that is that they literally believe that as they enter into Mass, as they come forward to take the elements, that those elements become the, the flesh and blood of Jesus. In a tangible, literal sense, they believe that happens. Now, it doesn't look like it uh, through a, the mystery and miracle of God, but, but in its essence, it becomes the flesh and blood of Jesus. If you go to other denominations that are also kind of high church, if you look at Episcopalian and if you look at Lutheran, they practice something called consubstantiation, which is they don't believe that it literally becomes the flesh and blood, at least not in a physical sense, but they do believe that something supernatural in a spiritual sense happens, that those elements are not just ordinary uh, bread and juice or bread and, and, and wine, that there's something supernatural that occurs there. And then there's a third view, and it's the third view that, uh, that us as Baptists, really pretty much the Orthodox um, world would, would embrace, the evangelical world, and, and that's called memorialism or a symbolism. And that is that we view the bread and the cup as uh, reminders to us of what happened at the cross, but not as having anything um, supernatural or, or significant about them, apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit, which we've already invited to be a part of our our service in its entirety. And the reason that we've uh, embraced that, this memorialism uh, belief, is because it's what we think Scripture teaches. And so let's look at a couple of verses here. 
In Luke 22, 19, it says, And Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus speaking here. Then we go to the writings of Paul, as inspired by the Holy Spirit. It really conveys that exact same idea. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25, Paul writes this. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. In all of these uh, verses, the, the Greek word for remembrance, anamnesis, means literally that, to recall, to remember, to be mindful of. It doesn't speak of a transformation that occurs or, or some kind of supernatural change that happens, but rather that this is supposed to be something that, that, that prompts us, that, that, that nudges us to remember what took place when Jesus went there to the cross, when he gave his life for ours. And remembering is something that's very important for us as humans. Uh, there were two neighbors uh, out in the backyard, and uh, they were working, and, and the first neighbor spoke over the fence to the second neighbor, and he uh, said, hey, uh, my wife and I just went to a seminar on, on how to improve your memory and how to, how to remember things even better. The second neighbor said, that sounds great. What was the name of the speaker? First uh, Neighbor paused for a second. He said, um, what's that flower that, that smells really pretty and it's got the big thorns on it? And the second neighbor said, well, it's a rose. First guy says, oh, thanks. Looked over his shoulder and said, hey, Rose, what was the name of the speaker that... Um... <laughs> Folks, all of us have times in our life when we forget. As I get older, I find that happens a little more frequently than when I was younger, but it happens in all of our lives all of the time. And yet there's some things that are so important for us to remember. And one of those things is the sacrifice that was made by Jesus. That's why as a church body, once a month we come together and partake of what we call the Lord's table. The scriptures doesn't tell us that we need to do it once a month. It speaks of whenever you do it, there's certain steps that we're supposed to do, but um, tradition has found that about once a month is, is adequate for us to, to be mindful, to, to have it lingering in the back of our mind what it is that Jesus did on that fateful day so long ago when he gave his life for ours. And so that's what we're going to move into at this moment. Uh, 